from the parking lot. To the tunnel. Check it out. Have fun. Unleash. Let's go. To the 50-yard line. On the field. This is your field pass with DCI's Dan Potter. Welcome back to the Field Pass and our continuing series of discussions about the 2019 Drum Corps International World Championship audio releases, both audio downloads and CDs. I'm Dan Potter, along with DCI's Jeff Griffith and Michael Boo, and we are on our fifth set of uh, performances. And what we're doing, instead of doing one whole CD at a time, we're breaking it up and doing one core from each of the four CD set uh, and talking a little bit about different cores up and down the rankings from this past year. This time, we'll take a listen to Genesis, Pacific Crest, Blue Stars, and the Blue Coats. And we begin with Genesis. Genesis 2019 show from the ground up. It was a, a Mother Nature-centric show. A lot of original music in this from Key Poland, Michael. Yes, Key, who uh, a lot of people remember as uh, being with Santa Clara Vanguard for so long, and also for many years with Spartans, has, uh, and more recently with Mandarins, where he has a son marching, did uh, has been involved with Genesis, has been taking them for their 10th anniversary in a much different direction than they had been before. They've been more exploring his own ideas of uh, original music. They've been doing something that has made them much more unique unto themselves than they had been in the past. And this Mother Nature show had this continual narration. You know, it started with the nature sounds, the birds and the thunder and the Mother Nature saying, I've been here over four billion years. She was wagging her finger at us. I, I felt like I was, I, I, I felt like I needed to repent. Michael, when, when you talk to uh, Chris McGonigal or any of the folks from Genesis this summer, did, do you know where they found her? Was she off of uh, voice one, two, three, or, you know, how, where did, because she, she was phenomenal. That, that voice track was really good. Uh, you know what? I have no idea about that be interested I, to find out I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves but there is a moment in genesis show and I, I i i'm going to look for this to be repeated because it was interesting not just sonically but visually uh, the, you'll recall that they had risers out on the field and they yes. were steep risers they were almost like halfway between ladders and risers and at one point they have the entire horn line on there it, it seems like the entire horn line and it basically it's a brass choir and they do a, a sweep with the bell of their horns, and it's almost like that that horn line becomes a pipe organ. Visually, it's stunning, and then they hit you with the sound of the brass. It's about six minutes, six minutes, 30 seconds into the show. It's phenomenal. To uh, For those who are trying to picture what we're referring to if they've seen the show it was a section where they they basically turned the horn line into a hallmark gift card display <laughs> yeah there that's a great way of looking at it
and uh, that they, they were very steep. I've never seen risers like that before, because it was almost as vertical. It was just so darn vertical. It was a wall of sound, a literal yes. wall of sound. Yes, it was. And uh, do you think either of you think that that verticality of the instruments help create more of a wall sound than when they're more spread out? That it focused it on a central location? Oh, it did. Because, think about it, you have a hard reflective surface behind that horn line. Most of it, anyway. Yeah. And it, So as they rise up, yeah, absolutely it made That's a difference true. sonically. And I think I can hear it in the audio downloads, too. Well, it's the equivalent of taking a concert band or a choir and putting them in front of those Wanger acoustic uh, backdrops. Yeah. yeah. That project the sound forward. So it, it was a really intriguing effect, and I, I hope they bring that back, because uh, I had never seen that done before. It was very effective. Were there other moments that stood out to you in Genesis' show? Well, yeah, I have a particular moment that was quite intriguing. Uh, it's at the six-minute mark, and again at the seven-minute, 45-second mark, and that is with their trombone quintet, yeah. where he did something very unusual. He had a soprano trombone, an alto trombone, a tenor trombone, which for those who aren't trombone savvy is what you normally think of when you think of trombones, the tenors, a bass trombone, which is typical in concert bands and is usually used to like beef up the tuba line, and a contrabass trombone, which is a very large, large, very huge trombone. It's the first time we've ever seen a soprano and a contrabass trombone in drum corps. It was just a really interesting effect. I mean, the soprano trombone is so small, it, it just about sounds like a trumpet. But when you listen to it, you say, I, I, I can't quite figure out what that is. It's such a unique sound. And the contrabass trombone is just, it, it just rumbles. So it's a very, very unique effect there at 6 minutes and 7.45 that, uh, that I just loved looking for. Jeff has kind of a more overarching view of the show, I think. Yeah, I um, this was one of those shows where, and this is one of my favorite parts of my job, is you get to see a show, and then you get to hear, for, in some cases, from designers as to the why or what's more, what more is behind the concept. Um, I had the chance though to talk to uh, their visual caption head, Frank Solis, um, and he described that this show, um, the idea of from the ground up, was done thematically in terms of the the mother nature uh the city grows out of this pure land but there was a deeper edge to this show that i feel like a lot of people didn't really know the the idea was meant to conceptually celebrate the 10th anniversary so from the ground up and the imagery of the 
the city being built out of the nature scene, the, the city scene being built out of this pure land um, that we saw vis visually, they wanted to make it also an analogy for what the core does every year. So the quote I have from him says, I think it's literally like the phoenix burning. You turn it into something new, it burns. We start from green trees, foliage, and then the kids come in as the bulldozers, tear everything down, create a city, and then at the end, we tear everything down and go home. Uh, and the way he described it is that's what a drum corps does every year. You know, you bring in the new, you bring in new staff, you design new yeah. members, you build something up, and that's the process. And so it was this fun nod to A, Genesis having the Phoenix as its kind of logo slash mascot slash inspiration, and what that means to them, and what it's meant over the course of 10 years, and how it connects back to the show. That was fascinating to me, and I feel like a lot of people wouldn't get that. That's just not like an upfront thing they present to you when you watch the show. Well, if I may add, what they sent out at the beginning of the season, the inspiration of the show actually came from a poem called Man Versus Nature by Norman Littleford. It's, it's not very long. Would you like me to recite it? I've got oh, it here. Poetry from Michael Boo? Absolutely, I, I'm please. I'm all about it. We marvel at her beauty each time we look around, then dig up all her treasures from their natural burial ground. We forget that nature gives us all that keeps us living. We take it all and still want more, but never think of giving. We build across the countryside, progressing every day, but Mother Nature can't progress, for man is in the way. I have a deeper appreciation for the name Genesis after that. Michael, do you know if that goes back to the formation of the core? In their history, it states that the Genesis staff made the decision to have each season be a rebirth of the core that would combine new genres of music and visual ideas with the traditional drum corps idiom. Okay, let's move on to Pacific Crest, and I know that Jeff Griffith has been chomping at the bit to talk about Everglow, Pack Crest show last year. Music drawn heavily from Hollywood films, including Ready Player One, Chinatown, Edward Scissorhands. turn Jeff loose on this show, Michael. Go through a little bit of the repertoire and give us some, some history and perspective. Well, this was quite a year for Pacific Crest. And after this year, can there be any doubt that this core is really aiming for finals? I don't think there is. Not at all. I mean, they just, they really, they really turned it up this year. Magnificently so. And with a combination of this movie music and a lot of original works by band, 
their Hora Rangers, Brad Green, Jonathan Zuniga, and Ezekiel Lancer, which we hear throughout the show also. So it's uh, little snippets, but the first movement is an original work, and it was just called Movement One. And then the uh, music that they played, the, the second one was the Ready Player One, the end credits by Ellen Silvestri. That was from the uh, 2018 science fiction film, Ready Player One, that Steve uh, Spielberg directed. And uh, if you haven't seen that movie, it uh, takes you up to 2045. The society uses virtual reality software to escape the desolation of the real world, much like how we use the internet ourselves sometimes. And that you have the movement three is original, and that is combined with that uh, John Sasses. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. The view from Olympus. I think it's Sathus. Uh, Sathus, thank you. That was a, a 2007 double concerto for percussion and piano, followed by the uh, love theme from Chinatown by Jerry Goldsmith, the 1974 movie, which we last heard in Spirit of Atlanta's a tribute to film noir back in 2011. And then Movement 5, Insight by Martin Voigt, who goes by the stage name Haywire, a unique H uh, A. Y-W-Y-R-E. He's an American electric music producer and pianist. And that was originally a synthesizer piece. So that was interesting to see how they brought that to the field and incorporated the synthesizers in the front ensemble because it was already pretty much written by that. And then, of course, Edward Scissorhands by Daddy Elfman at, at the end. Well, Jeff, I you know, what struck me, and I'll turn you loose, <laughs> is that just sonically, this was such a treat of a show, such great sound design and increased talent level in both the horn line and the drum line. I'd point to the drum feature at about six and a half minutes into the show. It's a short little drum feature, but it rocks and it is clean as a whistle. This was maybe your favorite, if not just one of your favorite shows of the year, Jeff Griffith. Give us your thoughts on Pacific Crest's Everglow. This was my favorite show relative to how it did competitively. Because I loved a lot of the top five shows, for example, but like I feel like it's pretty common to like a top five show as a drum corps fan. This show, from start to finish of the season, clicked with me. It stuck with me. I loved Everglow. I tweeted, the first time I got the chance to see it, I'll tell a little story here real quick, was in Vista, California, June 28th, their opening night of the season. And I tweeted the words, call me on recency bias, but Pacific Crest sounds the best I've heard them in years. Then we proceeded to see them sneak ahead of Troopers in early July, sneak ahead of Madison Scouts in mid-July in San Antonio. They beat the Academy and Colts at championships. They kind of did what Mandarin's last year where they came in already looking better than they'd ever done and they jumped even further at championships. Um, and you could point to any number of things that were better this season about Pacific Crest. As far as the show itself, Mike, you talked about all these different pieces of music and we've talked a lot about uh, Boston Crusaders was an example um, of these shows that have crazy diverse 
styles of music. I mean, you mentioned John Sathis, you mentioned Insight by Haywire, Edward Scissorhands, other cinematic music, original music. The, they mix it together, but it all felt like one style. You know? Absolutely. That was, uh, that's not very easy to pull off. Right, and I think that's to Dan's point about the sound design. They used electronic soundscapes in such cool ways that made every piece they used kind of feel like what Everglow was. You know, that... Just it, especially that reverb on the trumpet about four minutes into the show. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That, that was... That was really made by ears stand up. Mm -hmm. That was eerie and so effective that you wonder how how have we not heard this effect, which was not that complex an effect, mm -hmm. but I've never heard anything like that on the field before. that stuck out most to me that felt like that when I really heard when I heard this moment of the, this movement of the show this is when I felt like Pacific Crest was something I'd never heard before from Pacific Crest and that was when they played and you mentioned it uh, Mike Insight by Haywire that song mm -hmm. is so fun and in a way it's so not drum corps you know, you listen to it, it's electronic dance music. You really, you know, it's 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 all synthesizer. And they used it in such a cool way where wherein it sounded like the original, but it wasn't all synths, you know. They had exciting brass shouts and and impact moments in this upbeat, you know, halftime grooving song. I've been listening to this like daily on my shuffle. The song itself ever since they introduced me to it. And I love when a core is able to do that. Um, I feel like that's a perfect example though of Pacific Crest, and this is the big thing that stuck out to me, they took risks this year, you know? Mm -hmm. And not that not that their previous season's shows haven't been good, but they've been the same identity. You know, last year they did um, the La La Land themed show, um, Here's to the Ones Who Dream, and it was great, but it was very Pacific Crest. It was very what you expect Pacific Crest to be. And then this year, they bring out Everglow. And to me, it felt more like a downside up. You know, obviously it's not champion, you know, they didn't win a championship, but it felt like that kind of just forget crazy over your head conceptual design and just have a very fun, electric, engaging show that the members bought into the fans enjoyed, and when you're trying to make a rise, I feel like that's one really good formula to do it, is take that risk, be super fun, and make a, and create a show that never gets old for anybody. And you can see it in the end of the season, you know? They, can t they never stopped getting better and rising up the rankings. I talked with their staff at Allentown, and they just decided this year that, or this last year, that uh, they were kind of tired of sitting around where they had been sitting for a number of years. And they absolutely just needed to uh, to make this uh, leap and to do something different and to say, okay, you know, we could be unique too. 
And I think that's what they really accomplished with this show. They, they got out of that, I don't want to say they were in a rut before, but the staff kind of kind of thought that they had been in the past. And in, in making this commitment to programming and taking all these diverse styles, as you pointed out, Jeff, and making it sound like one piece and, and focusing on creating a Pacific Crest sound, they finally achieved what they were looking for as far as moving up. And now they're hungry. Think of them like mandarins just three years ago. Exactly. I think that's what we could easily see from this mm-hmm. core. Yeah, a new identity, a new look, a, a new design style, and now you attract, you know, potentially more members, you know, more auditionees because you made that leap, you took that risk, and it paid off. So I'll be curious to see again, as you said, Mike, what they do in 2020, both design-wise and also competitively. You know, that's almost secondary because I'm excited to see how they carry over the feeling of Everglow. Well, musically, Jeff, what, any other moments stand out for you? Yeah, I know I talked a lot about the show itself and the season as, as, itself as, a, as a, a bigger picture, but Mike, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because it fascinated me hearing this one musical moment. Entering the closer, going from that insight by Haywire into the Edward Scissorhands music, you listen to those two pieces of music and they're so in different leagues in terms of just the feeling and the sound and the style, but they... To me, it felt like they they fused them together perfectly and it made it for such a cool ending. Would you agree with that, Mike? Yes, I would. guys put on the parkas and uh, your heavy sweaters and mittens it's time to go out in the back for call of the wild and the blue stars of course based loosely on jack london's novel and they certainly portrayed that not just visually on the field of course if you've seen the show they were they were all bundled up and there was a mountain and yeah visually we, we know that they portrayed it but as you listen to this without the pictures it's cold out there i really got that that feeling of being out in the wild. He knew not where or why, nor did he wonder where or why. The call sounding imperiously deep in the forest. There was one moment of this show And I don't want to sound too cheesy in describing it like this, especially coming out of what you just said, Dan. But there was one little moment, and it's a small thing. But every time I heard it live or on the CD, I got chills. There's, it's entering their closing movement. And I I marked it down at 1022 on the CDs. There's this beautiful passage leading up to the 1022 mark of front front ensemble music, excuse me. And there's a baritone melody that kicks in, and it's uh, like you said, it's very cold. It feels wintry, and then this warm, resonant, low brass chord kicks in under it. I couldn't tell you 
which piece of music it was they were playing, but it was this little moment that every time I heard it, it just it warmed me up. It warmed up the soundscapes of what they were playing. I loved that little chord they put in there. Mr. Boo, let's go through the repertoire. Maybe we can figure out the, the exact moment uh, musically that Jeff's talking about here. Well, I, I'm going to do this in reverse a little because the moment that Jeff's talking about is from The Great Thaw, which is a reprise of a piece we heard earlier in the show, but uh, also from the movie Frozen, the 2013 smash hit that parents are still trying to shake earworms out of their heads because <laughs> their kids, you know, insist on playing it 20 times a day and uh, so it was during the great thaw that we we had that uh, where everything just became much more uh, happy and you know in the movie the great thaw represented uh, freedom from this ice prison that so many people were uh, felt repressed by but going back to the beginning of the show you know, we got set off by those frigid wind sounds that uh, we heard at the beginning and uh, under the uh, closing narration about Buck, the main character, Sled Dog, from the Jack London 1903 novel about the Klondike Gold Rush. And then we had uh, Vivaldi's uh, Concerto Number no. 4 and F minor, Winter, from the Four Seasons, that uh, wonderful 1717 work that you hear on several commercials for expensive cars and stuff like that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that Tchaikovsky Symphony Number no. 1, which uh, I didn't realize is actually subtitled Winter Daydreams. So this uh, 1866 work, which I thought I knew, I didn't realize it had this winter connection, which was right there already. Um... So I was, I was very intrigued by the use of Aaron Copeland's dance panels, which we heard in Santa Clara Vanguard's 1998 Aaron Copeland the Modernist show, it did not really fit in what they were doing with the rest of the show, which was uh, taking uh, the theatrical approach to this exploration, the plights of the uh, sled dog, and uh, using the cinematic music that uh, it was inspired by winter by this feeling of blizzard. And they deconstructed these famous winter pieces like the Vivaldi and the Tchaikovsky. And then Aaron Copeland comes in with one of his most modernistic pieces. Uh, I, I don't know how they fit that in, but somehow they did. Uh, much more easier to understand was Yoko Kano's Sora the, uh, from the either it was an anime film or a video game 
Uh, Soro is keyboardist for the seatbelts. I know that's one of your favorite groups, Jeff. <laughs> the who? Come, come, <laughs> come again there, Mike? Yeah. And even though it was very tender, it generated this feeling of the frigid north. And then you had the original work, Avalanche, the percussion ensemble piece by the core percussion rangers, Jim Wonderluck, Rick Barclay, and Matthew Hernandez. And then where everything just opens up gloriously in the great thaw from the movie Frozen. And instead of shivering, suddenly you feel warm inside. And it's kind of like going into the Opry ski moment in the ski lodge and yeah. sitting down with a nice cup of hot cocoa. You know, guys, Blue Stars were actually the second drum corps I ever saw live way back in 1979. Guardsmen were first, then Blue Stars, and back then their horn line ripped my face off. Um, they've had their ups and downs certainly over the corps' history, but it is so great to see uh, what Ward Miller has been able to do along with his staff with that horn line over the last couple of years, and they cranked it up another notch in 2019, Jeff. Yeah, these last couple of years have been so good for them competitively. They got eighth this year and last year, um, which was the, the two, those two results were their best finishes since 2010 when they also got eighth place. Um, and it's their highest uh, world-class uh, score since that 2010 season, um, scoring a 91.225 this year, but particularly, as you mentioned, the horn line. Last year, I was stunned by them in so many different moments, both in the energetic moments, the emotional ballad type of moments, the impact moments, and this year was another step up from there. Um, one moment that really struck me was in the opening sequence. You have a lot of those, um, we mentioned them, the darker soundscapes, and then some brass kind of builds out of that, and there's this passage from 1.30 to about two minutes in of just countering almost kind of call and response runs between sections in the brass line that leads you into that powerful opening statement. And it's just the sound that Blue Stars have created over the last two years. There were moments where their horn line felt like that of a top four, top five core. Michael, you have anything you want to add? Well, I know we're, we're talking about the music, but I think uh, I can't let this go without talking about the effect of the various visuals that they use, you know, the movable sleds, the metallic evergreens, okay, the snowfall-inspired tarps, the large mountain that yeah. they made interactive, which was which was fascinating to see. Uh, this is you know this core could have been outfitted by just going to L.L. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and, true. And, and the visuals and the costuming 
which, you know, when you saw preseason, you thought, oh, that's going to be a lot of fun, you know, wearing on a 95 degree day. <laughs> Everything they do put them in this moment of creating this sonic impression, but also this visual impression of the frigid, frozen north. And and they, they do that each year for the past few years. They, they do that so effectively and they come out with these costuming that you, you you look at preseason and you think, you know, oh, huh? But you have to see it in person and then it all makes sense. And it, and it gives them this uniqueness that is unique not only to other course, but to each one of their productions. And it's, it's just a wonderful thing to see this core developing their own identity in such a way. Let's go back to 1964 and the Fab 154. The Bluecoats doing the Bluecoats. show and i remember thinking guys at the very beginning of the season this may be the most fleshed out fully developed show i've ever seen right from the get-go right from detroit on they came out on the field with a lot of the elements that you might expect to see them put in in mid-july or even the beginning of august absolutely right i mean i had the chance to see it in detroit as well and i was just floored by like you said not only the the how much it had been developed in terms of putting all the pieces together but they already sounded so tight and clean and that's often the case for them i feel like i mean i can't remember the last time we didn't see them win at tour premiere I think yeah. it's I think it's four years in a row, which yeah. which says a lot to the spring training preparation they do, and almost makes well, you wonder if more cores should be as secretive in the spring training as they are. Well, it also belies the fact that you know, or what was, you know, taken over the years to be a drum corps truth, and that is you don't want to peak too early. Sure. Because you know, blue coats come out, they look like they they're they're at the peak of their game, and it's like, oh no, they're peaking too early. Um, they, they continued to develop that show and get better and better and better still as the course of the summer went on.
Okay, Michael, obviously this is drawn all from, from Beatles charts, but what can you tell us about the repertoire and how it was laid out? It was laid out seamlessly. It's amazing. They had 16 songs <laughs> in the show. 16 songs. And you didn't just hear a couple measures of each. Yeah, you heard many of these were fully developed. And they wove it into this musical tapestry that was a single entity. Would you would you like me to recite the list of, uh, of all the pieces we heard in the show? Okay, Michael. Yeah, we want you to do that. But uh, for the sake of time, we're going to speed you up a little bit. Ready, set, go. Strawberry Fields Forever, A Day in the Life, Penny Lane, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Love Me Do, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Cup Band, Eleanor Rigby, Within You, Without You, Here Comes the Sun, Blackbird, Dear Prudence, Come Together, What Happens Now, I Want You, She's So Heavy, With a Little Help from My Friends, and A Day in the Life. Mike, that was impressive. <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> you should be an auctioneer, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the opening impact, the yes. cacophony from... Uh, the White Album, of course, uh, I think a lot of drum corps fans picked up over the season that that was actually uh, recorded in some uh, part of it of what you heard was recorded. And it was the Avon High School Orchestra from Avon, Indiana, that was recorded their string section making that great cacophony. But of course, they added more layers on top of that. Mike. Well, it was just absolutely amazing how they how they took everything and you didn't feel like you were getting whiplash from being, you know, on this carnival ride, like let's say the Scrambler. If you remember that carnival ride, where you know your neck would go to the left and then you go to the right and then you go to the left and you go to the right, you, you didn't feel like you were being slapped back and forth from you know one wall to the other. It was just so magnificently presented in a continuous fashion that I was in total awe through the entire production. Yeah, the you talk about the how there's 16 pieces of music and how they're so seamlessly laid out. What was so fun for me when listening to this show over and over and over again was finding them. So a lot of them are snuck in in the opener. I know there's some Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields is in there briefly. You even hear in the percussion some of the um, the drum solo from the end. Um, and when the battery percussion enters, it's very it's very it's very short and very snuck in there, but it's it's there. Um, obviously, though, there are more so foundational pieces that kind of lay out the show. You know, you get a lot of Eleanor Rigby, a lot of Within You Without You, um, a lot of Blackbird. Um, the one I took forever to find was Here Comes the Sun. I saw it in the repertoire. I'm like, it's not there. And it is for like a second and a half near the right. end of Within You Without You. And it's a little mellophone rip right out of one of the chords. It's, it's barely there. And I, I, when I heard that, I'm like, like, you don't need to do that. But the fact that you did is so cool. Like that, that chord would have been so impactful without that little riff from the mellophone. But they did it anyway, and it was so cool the way they snuck in little Easter eggs like that. The big thing, though, for me about this show, and I, I feel like we talked a lot about this when we first learned what the show was called, and I think it 
maybe got lost a little bit in the in the in as the season went on and as people got more used to this show this wasn't just a Beatles show you know like they made it very clear I know Dan you had the chance to talk to uh, Dean Westman in the preseason that this was meant to be a show that used the aesthetic and look and music and feel of the Beatles to also celebrate the innovative design style and spirit that the blue coats have I mean that was in there uh, the quote-unquote, innovative spirit of the Bluecoats, those words were in their yearbook description of this show. And there were moments that did that. So cool. They took Beatles music and played it like the Bluecoats have. I've got two that stuck out to me. In Eleanor Rigby, they've got that looping trumpet round, just like Mm -hmm. kinetic, kinetic noise. And, oh my goodness, I don't know how anyone could hear the ballad impact of Blackbird and not hear the boxer. It was almost like the same arrangement, but just two different songs. Wow. Sounds just like it, and those are and they did include a pitch bend like tilt for part of the season. Uh, it was maybe two weeks they had it in there, and they changed it to do the kind of more encore esque. Once again, the blue coats, both very cool endings to get into that. Hey Jude, I loved the pitch bend. I understand taking it out, different design, you know, opinions, but either way, the way they snuck in just different little blue coat things made this show took this show from a cool Beatles show to an almost gold medal caliber show that I think a lot of us would say was one of the most entertaining shows we have ever seen. Now that you mentioned the encore, there's actually 17 songs, not the 16, because they added Hey Jude at the end of the season right. to phenomenal effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 17, it really 17 did. songs. So may, may I redo my auctioneer <laughs> list? <laughs> oh, you wait. I'm dying to hear it again. Ready, set, go. Strawberry Fields Forever, A Day of the Life, Penny Lane, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Love Me Do, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Come Bad, Upload and Rick Me, Within You, Without You, Here Comes the Sun, Blackbird, Dear Prudence, Come Together, What Happens Now, I Want You, She's So Heavy, With a Little Help of My Friends, A Day of the Life, and Hey Jude. Bluecoats have been known for years now for their innovation in sonic design, and that was definitely the case in this show from 2019. Michael, sonically, what stood out for you? There were two things that hit me. That uh, and one didn't hit me until I got the CDs. But the the one during the season, the uh, Ravi Shankar sitar effect at the beginning of the second tune, sounded as if Shankar was actually sitting out on the field playing the sitar it didn't sound like an electronic generated effect that just for some reason that little effect just always sent me over the edge it was just so wonderful it wasn't until the cds came out that i was aware that i really heard the bird sounds at the beginning of blackbird they were kept under wraps kind of sonically to be very subtle and and not as obvious as let's say the bird sounds at the beginning of genesis show and I was just so intrigued. I had to listen to that a few times when the CD came out. It, it Just a wonderful little thing, just a hint. And just so that you know, when, when it came out, ah, mm. 
so many emotional moments in this show and they Absolutely. change so rapidly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's great with all that visual stimulus going on. It really is good to put on the headphones or crank up the speakers and just listen to the Blue Coats 2019. Absolutely. No doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, the Blue Coats. Our sixth podcast will listen back to the Spartans, Blue Knights, Spirit of Atlanta, and last year's champion, the Blue Devils. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. And folks, if you want to hear what we're talking about, you got to get this audio. You either go to marchingmusicdownloads.com or you can find them on Amazon and Apple iTunes, or you can just buy the CDs in the DCI store. Go to dci.org and click through. You'll find them there. For Jeff Griffith and Michael Boo, I'm Dan Potter. We'll talk to you next time. 